When planning the road to success, there are a few steps to keep in mind. Identifying and solving the cause, facing and embracing change, goal setting, and being accountable. We'll talk about this today on Sustainable Success with Chris Salem. New and healthier habits lead to prosperity in all areas of your life and business. Now, here's your host, Chris Salem. Well, welcome. Hope everyone's having a great week. Uh, It's a wonderful week here in the New York area. And again, we hope everyone is uh, doing it the prosperous and the sustainable success way. Again, uh, we're going to have a great show today. But if those that are new to sustainable success, again, you found us here on Voice America Influencers Channel. But also, we like you and encourage you to visit us on Facebook at Sustainable Success 2017. There you'll listen to many of our great guests that we've had on in the past. Uh, sharing their words of wisdom to help you grow in your business, but also in your personal life. So again, that's Sustainable Success 2017. The reason for that is that was the inception of the show, May of 2017. It's hard to believe that we are about two and a half years into the show and growing strong. So that being said, uh, check us out there. Again, leave any comments, and we encourage you to be as interactive as possible uh, with any of the episodes that you can listen on demand there. So uh, today our show is being sponsored by Empowered Fathers in Action, a 501c3 organization dedicated to strengthening the father-son bonding process. And what I love about this organization is that they're doing even going beyond that to help families grow interdependently in terms of their relationships through communication and leading by example. And this organization is doing a lot of great things, not only direct with families, but also through communities and businesses as well. And and check them out at Empowered Fathers and Actions at efamovement.org. That's efamovement.org. And again, uh, you can contact Davey Williams there, the managing director, for uh, any information on volunteering. And of course, of course, your donations are always welcome uh, to that organization. Again, efamovement.org. Today, we're going to be talking about how to lead in the age of millennials. And again, we have a great guest today. And before I introduce him formally, uh, we're going to uh, give a brief bio about him. So his name is Brad Zolas. Okay, he's a global recognized leadership development and management consultant who helps organizations dominate their industry by tapping into the treasure of a cross generational workforce. As one of the very first web pioneers, Brad grew his digital agency K2 Design. 425% for five straight years, beginning as a business idea in a coffee shop with absolutely no startup capital to a publicly traded company worth $26 million in just 24 short months with an IPO on NASDAQ. Since the year 2010 and the release of his award-winning bestseller, Liquid Leadership, Brad has created customized cross-generational training programs for the American Management Association, Tony Robbins Research, and Liquid Net Holdings, as well as dozens of Fortune 500 companies on the subject of cross-generational management, innovation, and creativity. Now, I could keep going on, but again, we want to get to the core of what we're here today to learn about how to lead with the age of millennials. And without further ado, we welcome Brad to the show. Brad, how are you doing? Good, Chris. Thank you so much, man, for having me on. When I, when I hear somebody read my bio, I'm like, who the heck is that guy? You know? <laughs> well, we we know each other, you know, through uh, you know through the Smart Fem uh, group, and 
we, you know, we got to, you know, speak on the same stage and we were on a panel and got, I had a lot of fun with you and I can't wait for the next one. So, so looking forward to today, you know, there, there is so much that goes into, you know, the, the age of millennials. I mean, they pretty much at this point are, are the bulk of the uh, workforce now. And, you know, we have so many other generation types still in the workforce, the baby boomers, of course, Gen Xers like yourself and I, and, and of course, these uh, Gen Zers now. But when we talk, talk about how to lead in the age of millennials, I mean, what are some of the ways, if, you know, it depend upon if, you know, there are people on that are work for organizations, corporations, and then, of course, there are entrepreneurs. What can we look, what can we do to just, you know, start off this conversation on and just setting the stage? You know, what are millennials? What, what, what can we anticipate with millennials sure. and what really makes them up? Well, first. Uh, I'll define what a millennial is and even some Gen X in there. And then I'd like to go down the road of context because I'm a baby boomer and I, you know, we didn't know what actually happened. This took place right under our noses. And if I don't explain it and I explain it in my keynotes, I explain it in my workshops, everybody fights. (laughs) Everybody starts fighting if I don't explain it this way because We've been trained that everybody who comes after us is either a kid, doesn't know anything, or they're just like us. And these generational divides uh, are very important to understand. And I'm sure you're seeing in in other corporations with your own adult children, if you are uh, a parent, you're seeing a huge shift taking place. And basically what a millennial is, is anybody who's born around 1984, on up to the year 2000. It's a generational thing. Generation X is people born from 1965 to 1977. Now, you'll probably notice there's a pocket in there I didn't talk about from 1977 to 1984. Those people are the original Generation Y, they used to call them. Now, Mm. some... Now, Chris, if you go back in time... A lot of people, they want to say that this generational shift took place in 1981. And I say no. They say 1984 is a very hard stop for me. And I'll tell you why as we delve deeper into this mystery. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> this is like mystery theater. Um, what happened? What was the number one box office movie in 1977? I would have to say, would that, I don't know, would that have been Rocky, or is that 76? I mean, it's 77. Yeah. Uh, Rocky, Rocky, right? 76. No. Okay, 76. Star Wars. Star Wars, that's right. Star Wars, yes. And here's why this is important. Before 1977, we went to the movie theater to see westerns, detective thrillers, action-adventure movies. We did not really pay to go see science fiction or fantasy. Once in a while, they'd have a movie come out like 2001, A Space Odyssey, or The Day the Earth Stood Still, and it did pretty well in the theaters, but they never took it seriously. As a matter of fact, when Star Wars came out, it was considered what used to be called a B-movie, and so nobody really took it seriously. Two weeks later, Time Magazine had to write an article, a cover article about it, because it was blowing up at the box office like it has never, ever happened before. Some people went to see Star Wars 26 times, 30 times. They stood on line. And from that moment on, 
because you're probably asking me, well, why is this so important? If you look at the top ten blockbuster films over the last 40 years, seven of them are either science fiction or fantasy-based. We shifted into what we wanted to watch. And this generation grew up in the shadow of Star Wars. And so when it was re-released, I think it was 1989, it was re-released, digitally remastered, they got a chance to see it again. So you're probably going, well, why does this matter, Brad? Well, the number two box office movie in 1977 was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. From that moment on, if you start to look from the Avengers movies that we're loving so much right now, to Harry Potter, to Back to the Future, Terminator movies, all the science fiction on television has all been driven since 1977. So this generation has grown up watching us use technology or magic in a ubiquitous way to fight evil adults. (laughs) So I know this sounds like, are you crazy, Brad? Why does that have anything to do with the psyche of millennials? Well, what is the central theme of every one of these stories? A young person who was abused as a child, living alone, discovers that they have powers or there's a secret fraternity of adults that will train them to either use technology or magic to fight and battle evil. Every single one of these stories has that theme. And so in the back of every head of every millennial is this fight, this ability, this, you know, hero's journey, as Joseph Campbell says. And if you don't believe me, Dr. Michio Keiko actually said it best, the theoretical physicist, he said, Star Wars initiated a paradigm shift. That's That's It's amazing how, how pop culture, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, and I can see that. You know, I think why, you know, yeah. when you said that, I, I just, because I'm such a Rocky fan, it, that was the first thing that came to my mind. But yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely yeah. 76 in that case. So yeah, and how I can see that, how that plays a, a role here yeah. in what you're talking about. Well, Star Wars almost was like a movie that we didn't know we wanted, and it came along and it did its thing. And a lot of people will tell me, no, Brad, it was Star Trek. Well, I would say yes and no, and here's why. Star Trek was only seen in the industrial, uh, industrialized nations. And if you were a Star Trek fan, you kind of had to hide it because you'd get beat up and called a nerd and a weirdo. So we hit that. Star Wars went mainstream, and it was the first movie of its kind to be seen all over the world. If you lived in Guam or Puerto Rico, you saw Star Wars. If you lived in Africa or Japan, you saw Star Wars. My ex-wife, who's from Haiti, she saw Star Wars. So this was the first movie to be seen from America all over the world, and it was science fiction-based. That had never happened before. It changed the way we went to the movies and what we saw in movies and what we demanded to see in movies. And it was, I would have to say, since our, our minds work in pictures, we started to see a future where we were using technology. And if you look at everything that's in Star Trek and Star Wars, we have a lot of those devices today. Yeah, we don't have the Millennium Falcon and we don't have the, you know, the Death Star yet, but um, they are working on the lightsaber and they did transport uh, over in England. They they actually developed transporter technology. 
Uh, they've moved one molecule from one side of the room to the other. Uh, and we have biobeds now, we have iPads, we have uh, holograms, we have robots. So everything you saw in Star Wars, we kind of have right now. And Star Wars came out when we had rotary phones. That's true. Absolutely. Those, <laughs> I bet you some of the young listeners are probably hearing what, rotary. What is that? <laughs> what the hell is a rotary phone? I broke up with a girl once because she had too many zeros in her phone number. Because I'd have to go, shh. You remember that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So a, lot, so a lot of you are like listening like, Brad, why, why does that matter? I'll tell you why it matters. If you're a baby boomer, you remember you resisted technology. You wouldn't embrace the first of anything. You probably think having your music and, and everything on your iPhone is ridiculous still in the back of your head. You're thinking, why? Why can't we just do a phone call? Why do I have to text and send an emoji? This is nonsense. These kind of movies matriculated into television shows and into our, our um, zeitgeist, you know, it became part of, you know, Ender's Game was a, a huge book that a lot of young people read. It was about a kid in the future uh, who had to, you know, you know, go into space and fight evil. <laughs> evil, you know, um, people don't realize this had a huge influence on the psyche of anybody born after 1977. So, there's a second piece of this, out of the three. Uh, what else came out in 1977, Chris? Do you remember? It came into the household. It was very, very sneaky. Can you guess what it is? 77. Now, I was 10 years old, so I probably I wasn't paying attention too much at that point. 10 years. Right. What to? But, uh, God, you, you, know, you, got, you got me, Brad. You're going to have to tell me. <laughs> since you're Generation X, I will tell you. Atari entered our house. Ah, yes. I remember with the uh, the tennis, right? You know, with the uh, the back. Yep. I remember. Oh. I had an Atari. And so suddenly video games. I used to, you know, all my friends, we had jobs. When started, In 77, I was 14. So we would go to the mall, and our parents would drop us off, and we'd see a movie, but I'd go to the arcade, and I'd pump some quarters in there. And since we all had jobs, we had money. Well, suddenly video games moved into the household and it was amazing. I mean, it wasn't that, you know, advanced at that time, but it took a few years. And by 1984, Sega and, you know, Sega Genesis came into the household. Nintendo came into the household. And now suddenly you had a more robust game being played. And people don't realize how much these video games and online gaming has had in influencing the brains of the next generation. Now, I did a TED Talk about this, and I basically pointed out there are nine things that you learn in a video game. It's the way you learn in a video game. Do you know some of them? How do you learn in a video game? I would say in the video game, wouldn't you? I mean, it's just based upon the, you know, you actually feel like you're part of it. You're the experience itself. Uh, yeah. You know, and it, Go ahead. Well, what happens is the first thing you learn is there, you have to discover the rules by making mistakes. You and I grew up playing Monopoly. And how did you learn Monopoly? You had to read all the rules, then you play yeah. the game. And every time you played, it would always happen the same way. Gary would get mad and flip the board over because he lost all his money. 
and so you wouldn't play for another month, right? But today, video games, and you're going to hear as you listen to this, you're going to understand the influence. Because in a video game, you don't ask for the rules. Think about that. In a corporation, you Mm. know that millennials do not read the employee handbook. They do not. They never will. And it's because of video games. They learn to press against, make mistakes, push, challenge, push everything to the side, beat it up. That's how you learn the rules. So they learn the rules and the politics by screwing up. And they believe that's the only way to learn. Whereas baby boomers and and Generation X, we were taught if you screw up, your career is over. You have a generation that thinks the opposite of us. Mistakes are part of being an employee. It's part of learning. It's part of the way to do things. If I screw up enough, I'm going to learn a lot. Okay? So any of you who are listening who can't understand why millennials don't care about getting the work done right the first time, uh, it's because of video games. The second and third thing you learn in a video game is everything is peer-to-peer. In order for the video game to work, I have to have access to everybody. I have to, uh, nobody's up higher than me or lower than me. I have access to everybody uh, that I'm working with. Also, in a video game, you use your team members according to their skill set. If they don't have the skill set, if they're a noob, as they like to call them, they will kick you out or won't work with you. In a video game, leadership is rotational according to skill set. And by the way, once you've stormed the castle, killed the trolls, and saved the princess, forget most of what you just learned because at the next level, the rules will change. So Mm. guess what? Millennials do not retain or hoard knowledge. They gain it and change it and keep it up to date constantly. Baby boomers were taught to learn knowledge and hoard it and use it to advance our career. So once again, you have opposites right there in front of you. Boomers were taught there's a basically a beginning and middle and end to your learning cycle. You study hard, you pass the test, and then you move forward according to your teacher or a role model or an authority figure. When millennials entered the world uh, of all this, guess what? They believe they should go straight to the front of the line because they're doing the same amount of work. Because it isn't based on time in their minds. It is based on skill set. Video games, my friend, have changed the way they think and do everything. It has changed their brains. And their toys are interactive as well. That's, that is just amazing. I mean, you know, I... It's kind of like, you know, you know, people talk about the video games and a lot of times they talk about it in a, in a bad way. You know, a lot of times people think it's had a, a negative effect on on this generation and generations going forward. But, uh, you know, it, it, I mean, a lot of people didn't, you know, didn't understand how Star Wars. I mean, it was like, like you said, it was such a blockbuster film. And yet the impact that it had on that shift and where everything is. I mean, it's just amazing. So, Brad, we got about a minute left to the break. I wanted you to, before we get into the next segment and really talking about, you know, you know how to lead in the age of millennials, uh, let's just summarize again some of those points that you pointed out for the audience, just re- you know, in about sure, 45 absolutely. seconds. Number one, Star Wars and fantasy dominated their literature, the movies, everything from 1977 on. It paved the way for Harry Potter. The second thing is, 
video games and interactive toys made their world very different, and they were actually trained in business team building, working, and strategies from an early age. But in our next segment, there's one major piece that I didn't even talk about. And you know what that is as we go to break? Ah. Parenting. <laughs> I'm looking so. forward to that. Well, we got we, we to head to break. So, folks, do, do not walk away. Stay tuned. And those that are just joining us again, you can listen to this to On Demand again. We're listening to Brad Solas. Again, we're talking about how to lead in the age of millennials. And yet the best is yet to come. We got Brad, Brad is just delivering on this particular area and shedding a lot of wisdom that can help us in the age of millennials. We'll be right back after the break. What is balance? It's being true to your purpose and not being distracted by shiny objects, surrounding yourself with family and loved ones, nurturing your spirituality, maintaining healthy balance of emotional and physical wellness, and being present in the moment. Chris Salem creates awareness about unblocking mindset barriers for sales professionals, business leaders, entrepreneurs, and all types of people to have sustainable success at the next level. The solution evolves out of the problem or challenge. The issue is that many people and businesses manage the effect but do not address the root cause. You now have an opportunity to live your life and operate your business in the solution rather than the effect of your challenges. Schedule a time to chat about your goals and the person you desire to be by going to ChristopherSalem.com. We have group consulting calls, one-on-one, and other programs to assist you. It will be the best thing you do for yourself to see how sustainable success is possible for you in your life and business. Join us at the next level. Visit ChristopherSalem.com. We don't follow. We lead. Join us. The Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Sustainable Success with Chris Salem. Call into our program today at 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to Chris at ChristopherSalem.com. Now, back to Sustainable Success. Well, welcome back. If you're just joining us here again today, we're talking about how to lead in the age of millennials. Our, our, our guest expert today is Brad Solos. Again, uh, Brad has been sharing a wealth of wisdom here and really kind of refreshing my memory here when it comes to how certain things have shaped the age of millennials. Again, 1977 being a pivot year when Star Wars came out and how that movie really paved the way for other blockbuster films uh, like Terminator and Perry Potter and so forth. And then also how video games, the emergence of Atari back in 1977 as well, and how video games have shaped on how things get done in the workplace in the age of millennials. With that being said, Brad, we had left off at the break about another important aspect to this, and that is parenting. And before we get into how to lead, talk about the parenting aspect of this and why that's so important. Well, you know, all the, the other two things I mentioned, whether it's the Star Wars and, and fantasy and science fiction uh, it, and literature all shifted and changed. The video games and interactive toys came into the household. This is all great and all, but this is only a small portion of it because there had to be uh, a nail that knocked the hammer in, you know, the, the hammer that knocked the nail in. And uh, I always say 1984 was the major shift because uh, a lot of people want to say it's 1981, and I disagree, and here's why. 
Sega and Nintendo and Sony PlayStation started to come into the household in 1984, but something else came into the household, and that was the personal computer. And that was the Apple. You remember the first Macintosh came into the yeah. household. Well, what that, what that did is it changed our relationship with time management. And that meant, you know, uh, for four or five hundred years, for thousands of years, actually, when you went to a job, where you were standing, the building you were standing in, was what your task would be. And then once you went home, you didn't do any work at home. You sat with your kids, your wife, or your husband, and you hung out. Uh, so now, with the personal computer coming into the household, more and more people started to bring work home. And so what happened is the 9-to-5 mentality dissolved. Now, why am I bringing this up? Well, parents were home more, working home, even though they had to go to work. Two parents had to go to work from 1970 on because two household incomes were the norm. So Generation X was the latchkey kid. Anybody who's in their 40s and early 50s, uh, they were the first generation to be immersed in coming home alone, and they're the generation that got introduced to divorce. And so that became the norm. And these were powerful, powerful influences because parenting shifted. From the 1960s, there was a guy named Carl Rogers. He was a very smart PhD, at least he believed he was, and he wrote all these ideas on parenting, that we should stop paddling kids, we should tell children they're special, we should never tell them what's right and wrong, we should excuse all that because they're children, and we should never use a, a foul word around them or tell them they're bad or put them down because this was seen as not only demonstrative, but it was looked upon as to stop trying to mold the child into what the parent wanted. So by the time Dr. Spock came along, all this parenting stuff, you know, was saying you need to, you know, basically look the kid in the eye and go, hey, buddy, what do you want? Now, my dad was a doctor of chiropractic medicine, and he had a bachelor's degree in chemistry, Chris. And when he heard about child-centric parenting, he gave it his stamp of approval, and he said, you know, this is a load of crap, okay? And <laughs> most boomers said that when it first came out. But it wound up in the school system as well. So now you have a generation where the hierarchy of authority inside the home, inside the classroom, and even at the college level, got flattened. Parents became friends and mentors and chauffeurs. And children now, instead of getting up and being, the, you know, they have to figure it out on their own and they have to do it on their own and they get yelled at and paddled. Now, they were running the household. And all these books encouraged parents to talk to their children with conversations they never had before, like, hey, buddy, uh, should mom and dad get a divorce? What do you think? You know, <laughs> some of you are laughing, but some of you did it. Okay, some of you listen to these parenting books and these, these theories, and guess what happened? Look at the world we have today. You have mm. young people coming out of college who will walk right up to the CEO of a corporation and tell them off. 
and not know they're telling them off because they've been encouraged to use their big boy voice since they were little. So they don't see that they have to earn their place in a company. They don't know that you don't get the option to talk to the CEO until you have uh, authority, you, you've moved up in rank in the corporation, or you're old enough to talk to the CEO. You may have remembered that, Chris. You, you never dreamed of talking to the CEO until you hit 40. Well, I'll tell you, when I my first job out of college was with an aerospace contractor because I was uh, in that field when I started my career. And I tell you, it was as old school as it come came. I mean, it was <laughs> it was a militant type uh, management style. So, yeah, it was uh, back from the uh, baby boomer days for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, my first real job was at Hershey Park. And I had to listen to my bosses regale me with stories of the Great Depression and and living through World War II. And so uh, a lot of you, again, you're going to probably be going, well, what the hell does this have to do with anything? Well, you and I were raised that when you enter a company at 20, you're supposed to keep your mouth shut. By 30, you might get a little bit of management if you stick around, but you got to stay at the company to prove that you're loyal. By the time you're 40, you're going to have a management position and you'll be making better money. And by 50, you should be running a department and maybe by 60, you're on a board of directors. So that was your trajectory. All of that took time. You learned as you went up. Your skill was tied to your age a lot of times. So the smartest person in the company was usually the oldest person in the company. And your career, you got paid and got a raise based on how old you were, really, and your skill set and your experience. Uh, I remember my best friend Dieter having an argument with his mom when she found out that salaries were, were going through the roof back in the 90s. She thought when you were 45, you should be making 45000 a year. And when you were 50, you should be making 50000 a year because that's the way it was. <laughs> okay? So... This all changed in the 90s. Uh, I was part of the dot-com boom, and I had employees that were demanding $90,000 a year in 1996. And when I told people this, they went through the roof because it took them their entire career to make $90,000 a year. <laughs> and so what happened is all the time that you and I put in, that's gone because you have a generation that was raised differently. And some of you are rolling your eyes and you think, well, they need to be paddled or they need to be taught the new way. This is innate in them. You have to tell them what you expect of them when they come into an office, into a corporation, because they've been taught at the root level that you should not judge me by my actions or what I look like or the clothing I wear. You should judge me based on the skill I bring to your company. Okay, so you see how it's a very different mindset, and some of you who are listening want to drill that mindset out of them. Good luck with that. You'll have an empty office because they will leave. <laughs> okay, but you can it is, generally the, it is the reality. That. Yeah, you can, and they will leave as a group. They won't. Leave. They have a hive mind on some level. They will leave as a group. You know, some of those companies that have hired me is because all of their brand new agents got up one day and just left on a Friday and didn't show up on Monday. And so you have a generational divide that has 
very distinct and clear differences in behaviors and expectations. And so if you want them to learn and do things a certain way, you must train them to do it a certain way because they do not see you and I with our 35 years of experience as uh, somebody to look up to. They see us as equals, a peer. They can just walk up to and they will not treat you as a peer unless they respect you. So you got to be kind of cool on some level for them to even want to listen uh, or even to sit down with you. They're just going to go through the, the you know, the, the, the motions, but they really don't respect you. So it's a very weird world to live in nowadays because you have employees that don't look up to you just because you founded the company. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We're in a, we're in a very strange world where your 35 years of experience doesn't mean anything to them because they've been taught to talk back to adults. They've been taught that they are the greatest, they're the smartest, and even though they, they weren't very good at a particular uh, you know sport, they did get a medal for, for showing up. They were the last to win. You were the last to win, buddy. Here's a medal. Um, you know, so, so I, I don't want to knock millennials because They've opened a Pandora box, a Pandora's box that we needed as well because companies were getting away with treating their employees horribly. You know, a lot of our 401ks and, and pensions and everything got messed up. Loyalty died. The corporations walked away from treating people well. And so you have a generation that was raised with watching their parents work themselves to death. So they're never going to be loyal to a company. Generation X are millennials, neither one of them, because they've watched their parents suffer, uh, and, and through something, they absorbed it. Um, they realized, I'm not going to be loyal to a company ever. You have to prove your loyalty to them first before they will ever consider you. And they want to talk directly to the CEO every day. They don't understand why that's the problem that they can't. Uh, and it's all from all these three influences, uh, Star Wars and movies, uh, video games and interactive toys, and now parenting. And by the way, if someone is young and they're from another country, they were influenced by American capitalism. They watch television shows like Sex in the City, where young women could go do what they wanted and had great salaries and picked out the men they wanted to date and, and marry. Well, guess what? That show is very popular in India right now amongst young people, and it's had a huge influence on them. It's amazing. So now, Brad, if we're looking at companies now, you know, and, you know, obviously we're in the age of millennials and how they've really reshaped how things are based upon what you've covered. What are some ways companies can do a better job of increasing engagement, not only with the millennials, but among all employees to maximize performance and, and keeping, you know, people engaged? Well, first of all, you got to start hiring better. Uh, I did uh, several keynotes for the oil and gas industry, and what they discovered is a lot of those oil riggers that would be out at sea for nine months at a time, they had trouble finding them because they would only want short-term jobs, like three months here, two months there. So once they found somebody who would stick around for nine months and was a solid worker, they discovered a simple thing to do, and that is take that person who works their tail off and put them in the room during the hiring process. Because how do we hire? 
subconsciously, we like to hire people who are like us. So a strong worker with a good work ethic who's wide open to learning is going to be able to spot that another hard worker who's willing to learn right away. And they're going to say, you know, I like that guy or I like that gal. I don't know what there is about him. Well, it's because they're like you. And get your team members who are going to work with these people involved with HR in the hiring process. You have to start out hiring fully formed adults first. A lot of times what happened is we started only hiring people that had a great resume. And once you get them in the door, they turn out to be a jerk after three three months. You realize you've made a bad hire. Well, get your good workers on the front lines during the hiring process so you won't have so many people leaving, belly aching, and, and being just, you know, a pain. They will want to work. They love to work as a team. And by the way, I've done this myself at my own companies. You should have an employee recruitment system in place, a program of some sort, because I had employees who came and they were hard workers, and I said, do you have any friends that can do these particular jobs? And those people would come in, and the only criteria we had is you couldn't influence us in the hiring process with your friend. You had to get out of the way, and they had to earn it on their own. And so what happens when friends work together, especially type A workers? They challenge each other. They work their tail off. They will fight like crazy to make that company better and to get the work done. And by the way, you can find a lot of this information that I lived through and created uh, through the Harvard Business Review did a, a uh, cover story on how Netflix was changing the way we work and the way we manage people. So you can look that up. These things work. Uh, the other thing is wow. corporate. And Brad, we got to go to break in about 30 seconds, but sure. I, wa- I wanted to make sure you leave off where we could continue. Go ahead. Yeah, we're going to talk about corporate culture next and who's really in charge of it. So get excited. <laughs> well, this is some great information. Again, those that are just, you know, joined us halfway through again, uh, this is information that you'll be able to listen to on demand later today. Uh, we encourage those to check out this show in its entirety. Brad is dropping words of wisdom and b- dropping valuable insight and how this has all evolved since 1977. And with that being said, we have to go to break, but we'll be right back and how to lead the age of millennials. We'll be right back. What is balance? It's being true to your purpose and not being distracted by shiny objects. Surrounding yourself with family and loved ones. Nurturing your spirituality. Maintaining a healthy balance of emotional and physical wellness. And being present in the moment. Chris Salem creates awareness about eliminating limited beliefs or unblocking mindset barriers for entrepreneurs, sales professionals, business leaders, and professional athletes to have sustainable success at the next level. The solution evolves out of resolving the root cause to the problem. 
The issue is that many people and businesses manage the problem but do not address the root cause to it. You now have the opportunity to live your life and operate your business in the solution rather than the effect of your challenges. Schedule a time to chat about your goals and the person you desire to be by going to ChristopherSalem.com. We have group consultation calls, one-on-one, and other programs to assist you. It will be the best thing you do for yourself to see how sustainable success is possible for you in your life and business. Join us at the next level. Visit ChristopherSalem.com. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Sustainable Success with Chris Salem. Call into our program today at 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to Chris at ChristopherSalem.com. Now, back to Sustainable Success. Well, welcome back. Again, if you're just joining us, we're talking about how to lead in the age of millennials. Again, we're here with Brad Zolas again. We Brad has been shining insights to how everything is transformed since 1977 in terms of sh- the shift to where we are today with the millennials and how we have to change how we lead in this age of millennials. So, Brad, I wanted to find out about, you know, in terms of company culture, what are some things that companies can do, hacks or whatever you want to call it? That could help sure. to, you know, and guarantee loyalty among this generation. Well, all the all the top business schools used to say, "Fire people, just get rid of them, make the culture you want, you know, build this, build that." But I'm a big fan of forming teams, teams that compete against each other, you know, in a fun way, not trying to destroy each other. And in those teams, you have a manager that is in charge of the culture. Now, here's an interesting thing that Netflix did. They took people on a retreat, all their top people managers who were in charge of building teams. They made them meditate for a couple of days, and they said, where do you want to be in a year? Where do you want to be in five years? And they would meditate on this and visualize where they wanted to be, and then they had them work backwards on to get those goals, who would we need to hire to be able to achieve those goals? And that's how they put in their hiring protocols. Instead of hiring people that fit into buckets, they let the managers decide who they needed to hire at the personal level to get the work done they needed to get done. So the manager is in charge of that team, and that team culture, morale, all these things, even incentives, they kind of have to be done almost like gamification. Now, that's a fancy word that a lot of people are like, well, what the heck is gamification? Well, gamification is using or utilizing tools, tactics, and strategies that get people motivated to achieve the goals that you want them to achieve. And once you get them to achieve those goals, you reward them in front of their peers. They love that more than anything. I don't know if you saw this uh, years and years ago. They did a study on what is the most important thing at a company for people. And they asked, is it salary? Is it, you know, titles? It's acknowledgement for the work they do. Acknowledgement, recognition, yes. You got it. Recognition, acknowledgement for the work that they are doing in front of their peers. Okay. That is a simple motivator and will guarantee loyalty. 
and you actually should appoint somebody to be in charge of that. And don't make it silly and ridiculous, you know? Who cares if it's Ned's birthday? I mean, I care. I like Ned. He's a good guy. But if you're always doing the same birthday cake and you're always doing the same award and you're always doing the same, you know, mash it up a little bit. Have some fun. Uh, my employees at K2, we said if you all finish strong at the end of the year, we're going to help pay for you to go on a ski trip. So we said we'll pay for half the trip. And that was for 50 employees. And they worked for the other half. And then we threw in a couple of treats. Like we took care of their lift tickets and we took care of a bus to charter. So nobody had to drive. And that little incentive, let me tell you something. People just felt we are the greatest company in the world to work for. Um, I have employees who still to this day have parties, uh, alumni parties, uh, for the work we did in the 90s. So uh, that's loyalty. <laughs> okay. So let me move on uh, to, to one more thing. Uh, there are companies that are doing it, like, really, really well. I mean, you and I were talking in the green room a little yeah. bit about this, Chris, and that's Zappos and Valve Software. Now, I want everybody to go out and, and look this up. Valve Software, V-A-L-V-E, Valve Software, they have such a cool employee handbook, they let it uh, out there to the public in PDF form. And on the first de- page, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, they say a great adventure in teaching people what to do when no one's telling you what to do. And this is incredibly important because this is 21st century leadership. We are so used to paradigms and hierarchy where management tells everybody what to do. And people actually believe that that has driven productivity. Well, they found out in a lot of studies, and you can look at Daniel Pink's research on this, but they found out that doesn't actually work. When you let people work on their own at their own pace, guess what? They get more done, and they work harder. They'll stay there until 10 o'clock at night. They get loyal to the company, especially if you pay them more, a little bit more than what the industry is giving them, because now they aren't worrying about where's their paycheck coming from. They will hustle for the company. They will do everything that you want them to. And guess what? The old paradigm was like a parent. If the boss shows up, everybody works. When the boss leaves, everybody slacked a little. We all did it, okay? Well, now the new paradigm, and this is at Zappos, is holacracy, and that is no management zone. But that means you have to train the hell out of people. And, and if you look at Zappos' training program, they, they will pay you $5,000 to leave that program. And nobody leaves. It's that good. And they train people on how to do uh, customer service like no other. And guess what? They don't need managers because people have been trained to self-manage. And that's incredibly important in the 21st century. You have a generation of millennials. Now, a lot of you think millennials are kids. Well, millennials are approaching 40. So the older ones get it, but the younger ones, you may have to start teaching them and training them exactly like Zappos does, which is we're going to go deep. We're going to teach you every single aspect of what we expect from you. And guess what? Look at the results of Zappos. It's a remarkable that company, like I said, you know, you know, in order for you to provide customer service at, at that level that they do, 
it's obviously they have to be doing something internally right to make that happen. And that's what you know you talked about. Yeah. There's no ma- there's no management. It, it's all, you know, again, the, they're working interdependently and again, leveraging, you know, each other's strengths and offsetting each other's weaknesses uh, very effectively. Yeah. 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 It's one of my favorite companies to talk about, but I'll give you an example from my own world. I want everybody to look at their employees and get to know them better. You need to know what, how they take their coffee. But what's incredibly important is talk to the weirdos. And, and I know some of you are chuckling when you hear that, but there's always the person that you see that's the perfect cheerleader. They're the perfect employee. It's the, the weirdo, the one with the purple hair and the earrings and the, and the, and the uh, tattoo that gets away. And years later, you hear they started their own business and they crush the competition, you're thinking, that guy or that gal did that? Well, I'm a firm believer in that because I had somebody hire me out in Long Island. He has a very large web design company, and he had a problem employee. This guy, he was he just couldn't take facial cues in meetings. He would go on and on and on and talk technology and bore the hell out of everybody, and they didn't know what to do with him. He was a brilliant programmer. I said, take him out to dinner and find out what he's passionate about. Well, it turns out he's passionate about writing. So I said, put him on your proposal team to write your proposals. So he did. And then they trained him on how to speak, say what he needs to say, and sit down. Because they they thought he had Asperger's syndrome, the way he, he spoke. So they trained him to give a presentation. But guess what happened? Their proposals were so well written they moved from being able to land under a million dollar deals to landing two and four million dollar deals all because they moved this one employee who was a problem and a weirdo as i say into a better place that was more aligned with their skill set move people according to skill set not their resume it's the most important thing that I can tell you to do before we get off this show today. Move them according to skill set. I mean, Brad, I always like to use the example of football. I'm a big football fan or sports in general. And, you you know, you could take somebody who has yeah. this talent, right? Talent that you, you could clearly see on a resume. However, if that talent is not used in, in the right way, it's it really is meaningless. But yet, if we could even yeah. take somebody with average talent, they don't have to be the most talented but yet put him in, a, in, a, in an environment or put him in a situation where it leveraged your strengths, you, you know, and, and coming together with others to do the same, then you're getting better results. I mean, that is so true what you yeah. just said. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I had another employee that uh, I'm so proud to have met her, but um, David Setner, my CEO, and, and myself, we sat down with this young woman, Penny, at the time, this was back in the 90s. Penny was from England, and uh, Penny, I think, had a high school education and a little bit of college. But when she came on board, her, her accent was so great, I said, you're the voice of the company. So immediately I put her on the, the voiceover you know, announcements uh, and, the, and the recording for the, you know, when you called the company, so we sounded international right away. Well... It was time to get her promoted to the next level, and David and I went to her and said, hey, would you like to be office manager? We were like, woo, she would love that. 
she just looked at us like we were idiots, and she goes, no, what else you got? And we were so <laughs> dumbfounded, you know, because we were caught a little bit of, a little bit of male chauvinism at that time, because that's usually what the office manager was, was a female. And we were like, oh, crap, we got, you know, and we try to be progressive. You know, I'm not one of those guys who puts women in their place. I, I love it. And so we, we sat there embarrassed, and we said, well, the other thing we have is programming. She goes, I'll take it. We sent her to get C++ training of Microsoft uh, products. We got her trained in Perl Script and, and uh, other programming languages. And uh, she got Cisco certified. We threw money at her. Guess what? She ran our department, our programming department, and she was overseeing MIT graduates. Uh, she just she took to it like a duck to water. It was amazing. And eventually she went and left us and went over to Ogilvy One and was in charge of their security, their IT yeah. department security. Yeah, I know incredible? Ogilvy well. Yeah, that's great. I mean, unbelievable how, again, you know, it doesn't come down to just education. It comes down to, you know, talent. You know, it just comes. But now applying that in the right situation. So true. Brad, we got yeah. about a couple minutes uh, to yep. then I wanted to leave some time that I wanted, you know, if you wanted to sum up, you know, this topic and then let people know, you know, where they can find you because you, you are a wealth of knowledge when sure. it comes to this area and just want to make Thanks, sure they bud. know where to find you or where you're speaking next and so forth. Absolutely. Uh, you can find me at liquidleadership.com. Uh, you can also Google my name. You'll find all kinds of articles and things in Inc. and Forbes magazine and all over the world, uh, go look for my TED Talk, and you can email me at brad at liquidleadership.com. And, uh, you know, actually, let's, let's kick it around. You know, Chris, when you and I met, there were a couple of millennials uh, in the audience, and yeah. I really found this fascinating. Uh, I'll paint the picture. Chris and I were on a panel of five other people, and we're mostly older. You know, most of us are 40 and up. And I was really taken uh, and pleasantly surprised at how many millennials and Gen Xers who showed up to this uh, three-day summit to really absorb the knowledge, really wanted to learn, really wanted to be a thought leader, wanted to write a book with their particular knowledge. It was, it was just powerful to see. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on that? Cause I, you know, oh, you I agree. And I, just, I, I mean, they were very, very interactive. We got a minute left, but I wanted to sum it up. Yeah, they were so interactive in terms of absorbing this information, and, and they were open to new ideas. But yet, because we were, it, it was such an interactive session, you know, we got their involvement, and it wasn't just, you know, Brad, people like yeah. Brad and I just speaking to them you know, or, you know, or down to them, it was kind of on a peer to peer level and got their involvement. And, you know, it was like, kind of like a little, like a little mastermind emotion there. And that's kind of like what it was all about. And it just had a lot of great energy in that room. So, uh, so Brad, we got about 30 seconds, but I wanted to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. And we wanted to thank uh, you guests that, you, you know, join us each and every week, the sustainable success way uh, we'll be back next Thursday at 12 noon uh, with another guest. But we, uh, we highly encourage you to listen to this episode with Brad, 
how to lead in the age of millennials. Again, there is a lot of wealth of information. You'll probably pick up some things that maybe you will hear differently that will really resonate in your situation in the workplace or rather if you have your own business and you have millennials working for you and how they interact with others. Ken, Brad, thank you so much. And again, guests, uh, listeners, thank you for joining us and we'll be back next week. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to Sustainable Success. Be sure to join Chris Salem and his guests every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Have an incredible week.